All right, let's get into the word tonight. I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And uh, we're going to get into this. Someone shoot the time to me. I don't have my watch on tonight. Huh? 7.51. So I got about 20 minutes to work this. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 30. Y'all ready? We ready? All right, amen. 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to begin to read um, starting in verse 1. And I'll stop you as I'm, uh, as I'm ready. Amen? Let's read. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city... Behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelist and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Let me get some context here real quick. Everybody say, encourage yourself. I want to deal with that tonight. Let me ask you a question as it relates to encouraging yourself. Does your voice have value to you? Does what you say to yourself matter? Or do you constantly, constantly question your own counsel? I don't know about you, but there's times in my life to where I look in the mirror and I just talk to, when I talk to myself, I'm just, gee, gee, what are you doing, man? Why, why are you tripping about this? Or why, why, is, why are you feeling like this, man? Rise above this. Sometimes you have to talk to, you got to get a little bit crazy in some seasons. To where you literally are talking to yourself. You are having purposeful conversations with yourself. Telling your man. See in you. There's two different realms of conversation in each person. There's a soulish realm and a spirit realm. Every time, every day you entertain both. You entertain both a soulish realm. A soulish realm is going to be all about you. All about your desires. All about your distractions. See we crave distractions as human beings. We pay for them. We, we, we buy them. We save up for trips. I'm not against trips. We just got off a, a, a cruise that was shortened. I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm all in for it. But it, it's one thing to pay for a vacation. It's another thing to pay for a distraction. Some of us are saving up our money because we, we, we need to look forward to a distraction because we don't like our reality. Versus having actually a vacation. To where it's time to rest, knowing in your mind that you got to get back to reality because there's purpose attached to it. There's a difference. There's a difference. I'm not trying to beat nobody up that is that is craving distractions for your life. I think we all do it at some level. I think that we all like to kind of step out of reality for a season, for a second, and just forget about the the, the responsibilities that we all have. Because sometimes life can get hard. Sometimes the pressures of life can get tough. Uh, as, as, a, as a matter of fact, uh, Louise, are you here? Is that you back there? I see you. Okay. Listen, she's getting married this coming weekend, y'all. 
And and so for, for those that don't know her and her husband to be Brandon and Louise, I've been counseling for the last month or two. And they're getting married this weekend. But I'm sure she's in full-blown bridezilla mode right now. Like full-blown. I'm sure that, I'm sure that it's, it's happening, y'all. And so life a lot of times will put pressure on you and we crave distractions. I'm not talking about the type of distractions that can be healthy sometimes. Everybody needs a break sometimes. But the reality is some of us are craving distractions and we live in distract distractions all the time. I mean, we're, we're literally everything we do is to distract us from our responsibilities. The reason why that's dangerous is because I'm telling you that if you will quit craving distractions you'll recognize distractions for what they are and then all of a sudden take responsibility and say no 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 no. i need to be focusing on this no matter how much it hurts no matter how much pain it is no matter how much courage it takes to focus on this i need to focus on if you will actually do that and focus on the right things i promise you your issues will start to get more clear you'll start to get better perspective once you get better perspective you'll start to you'll start to have strategy once you have strategy you'll start to have action once you have action things change but you cannot whip it if you don't look at it you cannot whip it if you don't look at it tyson i watched the interview on mike tyson one of the greatest heavyweights to ever fight arguably mike tyson won most of his fights before the punch was ever thrown you could see it in the face off the guy was ruthless he was he was a different type of level of of uh, a fighter because he was ruthless. He wanted to hurt you. The man literally told people during the interview, man, you better write your will out because it don't count if I don't kill you. This guy was trying to hurt you in the ring. He didn't just want to win. He wanted to assassinate people. And he was crazy. He was legitimately crazy. The man would, if he couldn't beat you in boxing, he'd bite your ear off. <laughs> he was legitimately, something was going on on the inside. He wasn't fighting his opponent. He was fighting himself. And, 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 and one of the things that would happen in the Tyson fights is the interviews that he would beat these people before they ever threw the punch. Why? Because they were scared to death of him. He was fearless in a sense that people, they, they, they didn't know what they was going to get. His, he, 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 was, he was whipping them mentally they, when, when they would face off in the ring. They wouldn't even look at him. Tyson's looking at him like, I'm, I'm going to hurt you. And they're looking all over the place. Because they was afraid to make eye contact with the man. They couldn't face him. But there was one man that faced him. Looked at him dead in the eye. Every time he would throw a punch, he'd, he'd come back and he would throw two more at him. That was Evander Holyfield. They asked him in an interview on Oprah, Oprah, how did you feel? He said, what do you think gave you the victory over Mike? He said, I wasn't scared of him. I wasn't scared of him. He said, everybody else is scared of him. I wasn't scared of him. I knew I could beat this man. He went into the ring with a confidence, knowing there's nothing you can do to me. I'm the bigger dude here. And because of his confidence, Mike threw everything he had. And when Holyfield kept coming back, it was frustrating, Mike, because he was hitting him with everything he could. And Holyfield was walking through it. The fight had already been won because Tyson knew that he could not intimidate this man. What am I trying to tell you? You are never going to defeat an opponent you can't look at. You need to actually be able to have the courage to look at whatever it is that you're facing. Whether it's people that, listen, I, I, I hate to, to, to break this news to some of you. It might be a revelation to you, but 
there is certain people in your life that do not want you to win. And they may be close to you just because they're calling your phone and asking you to go out to eat. They just want to get close enough to you so, so that they, can, they, they have enough ammunition to be able to destroy you or bring you down when it counts. Not everybody is your friend and wants to see you succeed. And the higher you go, the thinner the air gets. I'm telling you what I know. People I grew up with, people that I, 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 I lived with these people. I thought they was for me. They're not for me. I haven't heard from certain individuals in almost a year. Because the higher I go, the weirder the relationship gets. And they wonder why it is that I'm doing well in an area and they're not doing well. You know why it is? It's not because I got special favor. It's because I'm willing to look at the issues that I'm supposed to look at. I'm facing issues. The more that you face the issues, the more you grow. The more you grow, the thinner the air gets. Your influence it extends, it gets bigger, but your circle gets smaller. Yeah. Are you hearing me? You affect more people, you influence more people, but those that are close to you, you start thinning out. I'm telling you what I know. You got to look at things in the face. See them. Now watch this. I want to get into this passage for a second. Everybody just say this for me or write this down if you're taking notes. It's not the events of our lives that control us. It's our decisions. It's not the events of your life that controls you. It's the decisions that you're making that control you. It's the decision that you make. Let me just come home. Can I get personal for a second? Let's say that you are the type of person that you're in debt and you feel like the Holy Spirit's telling you. How many believe that God don't want you in debt? Uh, see, that we I don't even get full. Anybody believe God don't want you in debt? All right, you should actually believe that, by the way. God, that you should actually be the lender and not the borrower. Amen. That's Bible. That God wants you in a position to help people and you shouldn't be in a position where a whole bunch of debt's over. Now, do I have debt? Yeah, I got debt. I'm trying to get out of debt on, on certain issues. Why was I in debt? Because I made stupid decisions. Ain't no other way to say it. I just did. I was young. I made decisions. So now I have to get out of debt. I'm paying, working on this stuff. Got things going on that, that we're doing and, and, and I'm, I'm glad for the season. But here's, here's what's happening. Let me show you how the Holy Spirit works. When... Let's say you're trying to get out of debt in an issue. And I'm just trying to make this message very practical for you tonight. You're trying to get out of an a, a, a issue, a, a debt issue. And then all of a sudden, here you are, you're admired. You're going to get groceries. You, you, you've, you know what you want to eat this week, Monday through Friday. Uh, you, uh, you want spaghetti on Monday. You want tacos on Tuesday. It's got to be Taco Tuesday because LeBron loves Taco Tuesday. Tuesdays is tacos. Wednesdays is hamburgers. Uh, Thursdays is chicken. Whatever you do, you've got your dinner table set out for five days. You have planned it. And so you go in there. And then all of a sudden, you start looking at the paycheck that came in. You've got so much money in this paycheck. And so you start budgeting what you're going to do for this week. And all of a sudden, you get to the store and you get everything that you have set out to get. And now you're walking down aisle nine. And all of a sudden, you see this, this, this item that you, you say, man, ooh, I would love to have that item. That's a massage chair. That chair, ooh, boy, that massage chair. Man, if I could get that, my shoulders are begging for that right now. What? Only 60 bucks? Well, I got $60. Do you? Do you got $60? It's available as a choice. It's, you can spend it if you want. 
But that means that's $60 that's not able to go towards debt. And then what happens is, in that moment is where the Holy Spirit typically butts in the conversation. He, he likes to intrude, by the way. Nah, you don't need that. You don't need that. Take a hot bath, it'll do the same thing. The water's free. It gets pretty hot. Just do that. You don't need that. That, that, that. Plus, plus you got this responsibility over here. You don't need it. And you know what happens? When the Holy Spirit confronts what we want versus what we need, that's when we start viewing the voice of God as an enemy. That's when he starts feeling as if he's against us and not for us. All because we are craving distractions over responsible living. This is how you grow up. The reason why we are not willing to pay the price that we are supposed to pay in order to get to a better future is because we do not have in our mind a better future. We don't see ourselves ever getting out of what we're in. That's why the Bible says where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. In other words, restraint is a beautiful thing. You put borders up in your life so that you are, you, people that have borders in their life are the people that are setting up their tomorrow because they see in their heart, I am going to be in a better position coming soon. But right now it's a time of sacrifice. Then there'll be a time for this stuff. There'll be a time when I can get the massage stuff. Not right now though. There'll be a time when that item can be purchased, but not right now. Listen to me what I'm saying. This is stuff that will help your life if you are willing to receive it. Now, I'm no fool. I've, I've done this for a long time. Right now, people right now are justifying why they want the item in their head. And you're going to do it. You're going to keep doing it. But here's the tricky thing about it. You're going to look up next year, a whole 365 days gone by, nothing's changed, and you're sitting there saying, God, when is things going to change? God said, it could have changed a year ago if you didn't go down aisle nine and do what I told you to do. Don't buy it. It's not about the one item that's killing you, but that one item becomes a lack of discipline that multiplies in every other area of your life. This is why favor can't come, because favor comes with a contract that's labeled responsibility. It's in an envelope. The envelope says responsible. You open it up and you get favor. (laughs) That's how it comes. Favor is not a present that God says, now here, just go do whatever you want to do. Favor is attached to purpose. God said, I'll give you a million dollars. It's nothing for me to give you a million dollars. I'll give you this stuff. Man, I was in a church service one time at World Harvest when I seen R.W. Schambach raise a million dollars in a service. I was there and we gave 10 grand. Now, I'm not the guy that does that. But it was a point to where the Holy Spirit was literally telling me and Pastor Izzy, this is a God thing. And we sowed, and and you would say, man, that sounds crazy to sow, man. I don't like preachers that are all about the money. Neither do I. But there is that moment of time to where, listen, God says do it, and you need to do it. Don't be so against something that that you're unwilling to hear the Spirit to do something. 
Do you know that when we sold that seed, we was in need of a building for our church? That weekend, we came back home, and that Monday, there was a, a build, building for $1.3 million in Flint that was given to them. For nothing down. $1.3 million. I'll say that $10,000 seed worked pretty fast. That's a fact. I've seen it with my own eyes. So... I was there. God can raise, God can do anything in a moment. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God will not do it if we are not in a position where we are responsible enough to manage the favor. It's not about, see, this is the kicker that, that we got to get. Your life is not just about you. Can God use you to be a blessing to somebody else is, or is every resource that comes your way all about how it makes you look and feel and the things that it's doing for you? Can God trust you to be a blessing to other people when he says, listen, I gave you the resource, but I'm trying to get it through you, not just to you, but through you. Are you idolizing the things that I'm giving you or are you willing to let it go as well? That's proof that, you're, that, that money's not your master's when you're willing to let it go. Amen. Everybody say favor. I put this down a couple, I, I said this about a year ago, but I want you to remember this. That when we're born into the world, we look like our parents, but when we die, we look like our decisions. Do you remember that? When you're born into the world, you look like your parents. When you die, you look like your decisions. Put this down also if you're taking notes. Is this okay tonight? Faith and fear both demand that you believe in something you can't see. Faith and fear both demand you believe in something you can't see. Mm-mm-mm. Here's David. Let me give you the context of what's happened. I'm going to wrap this up. David just grabbed 400 men. Here he was running for his life. Saul's trying to kill him. The man was anointed to do something great. The prophet came to him when he was a young man. He prophesied over him. He poured oil over his head and he said, you're anointed. You're going to be the king of Israel. Now, here's the difference between Saul and David. We've known this, but when Saul was anointed king, he was crowned king very shortly. No process of anything. He was said, you're going to be king, and then he was given the kingdom. David was anointed king, but it took 17 years for him to finally get on the throne. What made David a better king than Saul is David was in process. David had to go through some things. What he went through made him who he was. The reason he served the kingdom so great is because he had an opportunity to be processed and developed. Saul never did. David built this thing called character when he went through the trials and the tests. The things that we go through are meant to develop the character on the inside so that when we finally get what God has said, that we can actually steward it the right way. Can you say amen? So watch this now. David, um, here's David running from Saul. And here's what David does. David goes, the Bible says he grabs 400 men. These, now these was, these was kind of like nobodies in their society. These men was the people that nobody wanted to deal with. Nobody had patience for. They was probably the guys that had bad reputations. They was just, they was, 
just crazy dudes. And David went and he grabbed these 400 men that didn't have good reputations, nothing going for them. And David, the Bible says that David called them his mighty men, 400 of them. They was, they was just, uh, just nobodies and David made them somebody and then ended up calling them mighty men. Now they was with David through a whole lot. They won a lot of different fights, a lot of different battles. These 400 men did a whole lot of things, right? And here's David after doing all of this stuff for these mighty men, he finally gets to a point to where now they just got done uh, fighting for the Philistines. They come home to their own camp. Their wives are captured. Their village is plundered. Everything's burning. It's all smoky. Every All of their loved ones are gone. And the first thing that these 400, do, 400 men do is turn around and start blaming David for, for what took place. The Bible says that they wept and cried so severely for three days that they could not cry no more. They was out of tears. That, that's some weeping when you're out of tears to where you, you're in anguish, but there's nothing there no more. You, you can't even cry. And the Bible says, watch, watch what, what David said. Watch, watch this. Let's read here. Verse 7. Then David said to Abathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. Now look it. God give him the sure, the sureness on the victory. He said, If you pursue, you're going to get them all, right? We see that? Now watch this though. The scripture before it says that when these men started having bitterness in their heart towards David, the Bible says that David had to encourage himself. He had to encourage, build up himself. It wasn't enough that David's wife, both wives, because back then they would marry a whole bunch of women. Man. Can you imagine? Good Lord. That's why he said your mercies are new every morning. That's the same author. They married a whole bunch of wives and women. Long story short, both of his new wives had just got taken captive. David's in a frustrating state. You would think men would be sympathetic with him having gone through the same thing. Their wives was gone too. But instead, they blamed David for the issue. Bitter towards David. David finally goes to the Lord and he encourages himself and he says, if I pursue, will I get to victory? God says, you'll surely pursue and you'll get it all back. Now watch what happens in the next verse. This is really imperative that we get this. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook of Besor, where those left behind remained. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor remained behind. Now they found an Did you catch that right there? David starts with 600 men. They get to the place to where they're getting ready to pursue. They see the enemy. They're getting ready to fight the enemy. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that 200 of the men leave. That they're too tired. They're too weary to actually go through the next stage onto the fight. Isn't it funny how people are faithful to complaining but not faithful to recovery? Isn't it funny how people are, they're faithful to be the person to tell you what you're doing wrong, but they're nowhere to be found when you're making the steps to recover what you lost. 
That's how people are. It's just that they abandon you in the time that you need them, but they want to make sure that they tell you everything that you did wrong, but they're not committed to the recovery part. When you're trying to pick yourself up, when you're trying to do better. You know, I was, Shawnee and I was with, um, in L.A., we was with uh, Tim Alden. He comes, he preaches for us sometimes. It's been a while, but Tim was on uh, the Detroit Preachers of, what, what did they call that? The reality show. What was it called? Preachers of uh, Detroit. It was the Preachers of L.A., but he represented, it was the Detroit version he represented, wasn't it? I don't know, man. It's something to do with preachers in Hollywood. So, Sean and I was invited onto that. We declined on that, uh, thank God, because it was a hot mess. Well, we, we, talk, we, talked with, um, we talked with Tim when we was out there. And, and so he called me a couple, a couple of days ago. And for some reason, we got on that specific topic. I think they're trying to do something else. And uh, Tim was telling me, Tim was telling me, he said, man, I'm not a good fit for it. And I said, Why? He said, because they're looking for drama in order to boost ratings. And he said, he said, man, I just, I can't do that. It's like we have to manufacture drama in order to boost ratings. And it got me thinking to myself, isn't that just like people? It's like we're drawn to everything that has drama on it. We're not necessarily drawn to the good news. Things that are good, things that we need to be celebrating don't seem to get as much likes and attention as all of the stuff that is negative. We're enticed by the negativity. We're enticed by the drama. Do you know that every time that you look Look at something that is dramatic. Every time that you look at something that, that is that is um, that is crazy to the eye, every time that you give attention to that, you do know you're promoting that, right? Every time that you share that, you're giving that attention. You might as well have participated in it because you're giving that attention. You do know that because every time you do that, them likes it, the advertisement is get, the, they're getting paid off that stuff. It's called streaming. And so they're getting paid off these things. And, and, and it's funny how people are drawn to the drama, but we're less, we're, we're less drawn to the positive to things, to the solution to stuff. You can get a whole bunch of people together to see drama. It'll draw a crowd. But when you say, listen, I want you to meet me at church on Saturday night. We're going to talk about the solution. You might get a handful of people. Because we're not, most people are not there for recovery. They're there for complaining. It's good preaching. David was in that season where it's like, man, he's going through hell himself. He just lost, his wives are gone. His family's gone. And all these people complaining, they're walking with him to go get it back. David comes out and says, God says we're going to get the victory. He goes back and all of a sudden we get to one obstacle in our journey. And 200, almost, 200 people, almost half of his army turns and says, we can't go any further. Like, yo, where, you was just telling me for three days how much you love your family. You was just telling me for three days how you do anything to get them back. And when we started the journey to recovery and the first obstacle you're willing to bow out. Man, what type of person are you? The first conflict you're ready to tap out. Somebody say recovery ain't easy. See, you got to learn to encourage yourself. I'm telling you, there's a season where people will not be able to penetrate. 
you, you're going to have to learn to speak to yourself by the Spirit. Some people are never, it don't matter how good their intentions are, they're not going to be able to penetrate you. Some of us, man, we, 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 we're in a season where the only voice that's got to matter is what God, isn't it funny that when God speaks to you, it's your tone? He always likes to use you to speak to you. He speaks to you, from you. David had to encourage himself because nobody else in his camp was getting it. Leaders have to encourage themselves. People that don't know how to encourage themselves will always be dependent on people around you. If you're dependent on people around you for courage, you'll never fulfill your destiny. Man. Let's continue to read. I'm going to wrap this up, I promise. Now they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread, and he ate, and they provided him water to drink. They gave him a piece of fig cake and two clusters of raisins, and he ate. Then his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid on the Negev of the Cherethites and on that which belongs to Judah and on the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. Mm. Then David said to him, Will you bring me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring you down to this band. Interesting fact here. David did more with less. He started with 600. Almost half half of his army disappears. David did more with less. I'm going to just get to the end. He he, he, He literally conquered the army that did damage to his family, got everything back, restored everything with less. The Bible says at the end of the chapter that when they got back the 400 men... Was, came back and they gave the, all the people, the wives, back, to, even to the 200 that didn't go. And the Bible says that the 400 men complained to David and said, no, 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 they shouldn't, th- listen, they shouldn't, uh, they shouldn't get to party with us. They shouldn't get to, to, to eat at the feast. They shouldn't get to celebrate with us. They didn't go and fight. And David says, no, 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 no that's not how we do. David says, listen, there's still a part of us. They still get to fight with us. And David made it a point there to correct the 400 people. He said, even though they didn't fight, we're not going to operate like that. They're still going to get the share. David made that a rule in Israel that even those people that are guarding the armory, even though they're not physically fighting, they still get to participate in the victory because they're doing their job. David, this is my point. David, even in a chance to be bitter, did not allow himself to get bitter, even to with the 200 that that left him in a place to where I mean, you could if there's any reason to get mad, it's there. You're complaining. We finally do what you're asking to do. You give up. We go get it and come back and you still want to celebrate with us? Isn't it just like people to do that? Come on now. Isn't it just like people to do that? You still want to celebrate. But David didn't allow himself to get bitter. He could have turned around and said, no, 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 no. Listen, you get your wives back, but you ain't getting none of this money, none of the resources that we gathered in this victory. None of that's coming to you, man. You ain't do nothing. 
But David wasn't like that. David allowed, because he encouraged himself in the Lord. Here's the beauty of encouragement. Encouraging yourself in, in the Lord isn't just you mustering up courage to do what you desire. Encouraging yourself in the Lord the correct way is mustering up his heart in you. It's not you just getting all of a sudden, now, now I'm ready to do whatever I want to do. That's courage. Encouraging yourself in the Lord is different than courage. That's why the Bible says now there remains faith, hope, and love. Some of us got hope, but hope can be dangerous. Hope isn't always a good thing. That's why the Bible says faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these things are love. Why? Because love gives hope the reason. Faith gives hope the object. Hope by itself. You can hope in the wrong thing for your life. Hope is directionless if it doesn't have faith and love. Are you hearing me on this? You, you can hope and say, Pat, I'm hoping that God's going to bless me. Yeah, but why? You need to hope. You need to hope in God, not that God's going to bless you. Because you may not be in a season where you can handle the blessings right now. You may not be in a seat. You, I'm hoping for a husband. You may not be. You're not ready for a husband yet. I'm hoping for a wife. You're not ready for a wife yet. You're hoping for the wrong things. You need to put your hope in God. He defines your heart. Then you find the good thing. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you tonight? Hope, faith gives hope the object. Faith. Whew. Trusting in God. Then God, man, love is the thing that gives hope the direction. I'm hoping in what love has given me a direction to hope for. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does this make sense tonight? Real quick, I know, I know it's a little long, but five minutes. I want you to go to Judges chapter 16, verse 19 through 25. Let's just swing there real quick. When you're there, just read real quick. Can I have five minutes, y'all? All right, watch this. Judges 16, 19 through 25. She made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him How shave. How many members of the story of Samson? Okay, let's, let's read. And had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. Isn't it funny that he had seven locks? That Samson had seven locks. Seven is the number of completion. We know that the things, that everything was completed at the cross. That he had seven locks. In other words, Delilah's job was to undo the work that God was doing, the work of the cross, ultimately. By shaving his head, you're undoing the finished work. Are you seeing this? His strength come from the finished work. This is why I teach grace to you. Because grace is the embodiment of the finished work. Once you understand the finished work, that's where your strength comes from. Come on, somebody. His, our strength, his strength becomes perfect in our weakness. Our weakness was under the law. That's, that's why the Bible says that the strength of the law is sin. Our weakness, it, 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 because of the law, it showed us that we, could, we had an inability to be righteous in our works. But it was through grace, it was through the finished work of the cross that he lived a righteous life. Now we come into righteousness by living through him. Amen, somebody. He had seven locks. She shaved the seven locks. He lost his strength. Because he broke the covenant that was established through the Nazarite vow. Now watch what happens here with him. His whole purpose, Samson's entire purpose for living was what? It was to destroy the Philistines. That's why God gave him the strength. It wasn't so he could walk around saying, man, look at how strong I am. 
That wasn't the reason for the strength. The strength was because he was supposed to be a solution to the issue that was happening with the Philistines because they was mistreating the Israelites. And so he was he was given supernatural strength. Isn't it funny that he beat up thousands of men with the jawbone of a donkey? One jawbone of a donkey. He grabs it and he begins to beat these men and kill. This dude had supernatural power, y'all. God, give him this. And he said, listen, you'll be strong as long as you keep your vow. The vow was to not drink alcohol. Anything that had to do with the grape, back then it was alcohol. That's how they got wine is, is, is through the grapevine. And then all of a sudden, he could not, he could not have, he was supposed to, to, to stay a virgin. He failed miserably at that one and the alcohol. But somehow God allowed, give him grace and grace and grace and grace on those issues. But as soon as the hair was gone, God said, no, 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 now judgment's coming. And then all of a sudden he gets there to a point to where he's with Delilah. You think he would have been a smart man after the first two or three times that the woman would ask for the secret and then he woke up and there was people trying to kill him. You thought he would have got it, but he didn't get it. And then all of a sudden he's in a place where she finally gets the secret. She shaves his head and watch what happens here. Watch this. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Isn't that something? This dude had been operating in this gift so long, he didn't realize the gift was there because of the Holy Spirit. He got up to go whip the Philistines and did not realize he was weak. Can you imagine the first punch? (laughs) And there was no damage done. And he said, oh, my Lord, I'm by myself. Oh, my God, I'm by myself now. And the Bible says the Philistines overtook him. Now watch what happens here. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They took his eyes out. And brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. For they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. It so happened when they were in, the high, in high spirits, and they said, Call for Samson, that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison. And he entertained them, and they made him stand between the pillars. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And about 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. So we know the story. So in other words, what happened? Samson got in between two pillars. How did he get there, though? Bible says there was 3,000 Philistines there, and it was all the rulers of the Philistines. So everybody important that, that, that gave orders was there. In other words, the system of the Philistines was all there. You take them out, the system collapses. The oppression collapses. How did he get in position to push those pillars because God gave him strength again. He pushed the pillars. The story says that the temple collapsed and killed everybody in it, including Samson. How did he get in position? 
Isn't it funny that when he had all the strength available to him, he never could fulfill his purpose, but the moment he loses natural sight. As soon as he was blind, the Bible says that they scores his eyes out. God allowed him in the dark to find his place to accomplish the purpose on his life. When you're encouraging yourself, you have to understand something. Encouragement comes from hearing God. The reason why some of us, and I'm saying this right now to you, and I want this to hit uh, at a deep place in your life. Here's the reason why some of us are not doing great things in the kingdom. It's because you don't hear the voice of God. It's not that you're scared necessarily to do it. It's just that you really doubt what you hear. You, Some of us battle with the fact, am I really hearing God? Many of us are hoping that we hear God, but we are not really in a position of faith. And that's why, how many can honestly say, Pastor, if God, if I knew 100% God told me to do it, I would do it. Uh-huh. Look at, pe- people have no, but the problem is we don't really think we're hearing God. You know why? It's because we are living in captivity to the natural realm. It was when he lost his ability to see. What is the thing that got him caught up with Delilah? His eyes. She was fine. He would have never known she was fine if he couldn't see. That's a temptation. That's why Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. (laughs) It was when that, that, that. That gateway. Your eyes are a gateway to your soul, Jesus said. Oh, man. He says, pluck this out. When that happened, he was in position. When you are encouraging yourself, you have to understand. When God encourages you, it comes from a different realm. It doesn't come from the natural realm. David was encouraged by the Lord, the Bible says, but he had not recovered anything yet. It was one thing to be able to see how, oh, I can see how this is going to change. Some of us, we get hope because we, we kind of see, okay, that I, I, I can see there's going to be hope at the end of this. I can see, you know, because I've seen this happen before and, and it gets better if this happened. But sometimes you're facing circumstances where you have no evidence that things are going to get better. There's no evidence at all that suggests it's going to get better. What do you do with that? The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. He had no evidence that this is before. The Bible said David encouraged himself in the Lord. Then it said he prayed, God, can I recover this? It didn't say God said you can recover this and all of a sudden he got happy. He encouraged himself before he went to prayer. Are you catching that? He encouraged himself before he went to prayer. So he approached God already encouraged by God and he said, now, can I recover it? It's... It blesses me tonight. Can I recover it? And because of that one thing, David was able to get through the necessary test that was in front of him. Can you say amen to that? Learn to encourage yourself. Really ask God in your prayer time, Lord, help me to not see things in the natural, but to see them the way that you want me to see. Quit living from just the natural realm. Get to a point, I'm telling you, some of us, we got a destiny on our life, but what's killing you is that you're living by everything that you see. It's everything in the natural that you see. I'm telling you, hope will be valuable to you when you can close your eyes. Some of us, what we're hoping for is all through the natural realm. You have to begin to close your eyes. 
Isn't this something that it took an enemy to finally get him in position? And he fulfilled everything. And this is the beauty of Samson. I think the most beautiful thing about the story is that in order for Samson to fulfill his destiny, he had to be willing to die with him. Some of us only want to do the things God asks us to do if we win in the end. Are you willing to die? Wasn't easy for Peter. Why did the church grow so rapidly in the first century? Because the apostles was willing to die. You stop manipulating the gospel when it's not about you. You start telling people truth when it's not about you. The apostles preached the radical truth, it caused uproars. When, can you imagine when Paul started preaching grace to the Jews? They was highly offended. They stoned this man. They, because, no, you're under the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to do this. You need to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And Paul said, no, 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 brothers, you're not. You're not. You're not under the law no more. And to them, Paul was a heretic. To them. He was accused of being a heretic. <laughs> he was willing to die, though. And every time they stoned him for death, God would resurrect him. And you would think, you know, listen, I love God, y'all, but you hit me with a rock. Maybe the first time I still may have some courage, but that second time. Like, man, look, God, I preached it, man. The seed is planted. (laughs) Send somebody else, you know. But they stoned him to death, and you would think Paul would say, okay, I did my job, but he gets back up and he goes and preaches to him again. <laughs> this dude is crazy. Why? Paul had an experience with God that changed his life, and he was willing to die for the gospel. As a matter of fact, these jokers was like running to the cross. They... There's stories of first century Christians that was being martyred and it it caught contagious. Other people started running to die too for the name of Christ. It's real. What I fear today in the American church is it's not real. I don't feel as if we have as many converts as we do church attenders today. God wants you to experience the truth through love and in him. Can you stand to your feet tonight? If you're discouraged, I want you to...